welcome to a special episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And joining us today on Opera for Everyone is a very special guest all the way from London, England. We are very pleased to have on the show today Ms. Rosie Brooks. Rosie, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how we came to meet? Oh, thank you very much. Yes. Um, well, I've been listening to the Opera for Everyone podcasts um, for the last few months. And I happened to meet a friend in the pub who said, yeah, but you've met Keely. Do you not remember? And it turned out a couple of years ago that we'd been to the same wedding. Um, and so she put us in touch. Um, and that, that was when this all came together. But I've been listening to all the podcasts. I've been working my way through the archive for literally the last couple of months. I've had it on in the background in the studio with no idea we'd met. And so part of the reason that you've been listening to the podcasts is that during the pandemic, when we have a lot of time at home, you have dedicated uh, yourself to completing uh, a project that has to do with opera. D- did I get that correct? Yeah, 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 definitely. I've been working slowly on it for the last sort of five years. And um, I did some work with the Royal Opera House about five years ago for their education department. And then it's escalated and escalated. And for the last four or five months, because I've been stuck in my studio the whole time, I decided to go full throttle and try to illustrate the top 50 operas. The top 50 operas. Yeah, wow. yeah, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen with it, but it's now it's, it's gained so much momentum that there's paper everywhere, there's folders, and it's it's taken over my life. It's good. Oh my, are you finding it something that takes up up most of your days? Most evenings, actually. I tend, I, if I'm drawing, I can start working at nine or ten at night, and then suddenly it's three o'clock in the morning. So I tend to do the colour work in the day with daylight, but at at night it's quite nice doing the line work. Rosie is an illustrator. That's your sort of your day job. But then your background is also in classical music. Is that right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I studied music at Durham University and I've always worked in other jobs to do with music and most recently with opera. I worked I've worked as a um, usher, as a steward, and I've worked in lots of box offices. So I've got to know quite a lot of people in the opera world in London from summer jobs and temporary jobs and things, which has been great. And so we're very I mean, Pat, when I told you that that um, I had received a direct message on Instagram from Rosie and told you a little bit about her. We were so excited, A, that we've got a fan in London, and, well, B, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and B, that like Rosie's got a, quite a pedigree there in opera. I mean, certainly compared to me, but, um, it, <laughs> you know, doing, doing the, the drawing and, and working in the opera. And, um, and so when I told you, you were like, yes, let's have her on the show. Well, it's so fun because it, it, it really is, uh, pun intended, it's an illustration of our belief that opera is for everyone. And that I, I really feel when I when I saw, and Rosie was so kind to show some of her illustrations to us when she sent us a few of the uh, drawings that she had made, I thought, I, I, she's on our wavelength. I guess that's another pun, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Help myself. Bad puns, bad puns. Here we are. But I mean, this is the idea that it's, it's accessibility. It's this art form that has this reputation of being, you know, only people who are going to show up in ball gowns and tuxedos. And and that could be fun for people who want to do that, but it, it doesn't have to be only that. It, it is just this immersive experience that can just 
move you to the to the core with the stories or the music and even if every piece of it is not what moves you some piece of it can be what moves you mm. and and it can be the pictures that Rosie's drawing or it can be the stories that mm -hmm. that grab you and then the music sweeps you into it even further I just I feel like it's that's our mission and and I feel like Rosie's on board with us or we're on board with Rosie yeah no Yay. definitely listening to all the um the plots as well because I do think there are some things I think you might have mentioned in a previous episode that some things you shouldn't know what happens in advance but with opera it's actually very helpful because sometimes it's not that explicit so if you if you realize what the dynamics are it can help and then you can just enjoy the emotion of the thing and I think it gives people a head start that's nice if it, if you've got a very basic arc of the story mm. you know not necessarily the ending but just so you you understand the dynamics of the characters because sometimes it does jump straight in with things with right them. right we always yeah. say there are no spoilers in opera yeah because, yeah 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 because otherwise it is sometimes hard to follow along I find I yeah. pay much better attention with an unfamiliar opera if I've familiarized myself ahead of time yeah, yeah. And yeah. with the illustrations, the point I realised is a lot of people tended to print out the Wikipedia page or just something from the internet. And because if you buy the programme, it's too late. There's not enough time to read it. <sighs> so true. Right. <laughs> so true. Right. The number of times yeah. the lights are dimming and yeah. I was like furiously <laughs> yeah. trying to squint and still read. But that doesn't, it is too late. It's too late. Yeah. Well, and that kind of gets back to the whole mission with Opera for Everyone is that everyone loves a good story and a story set to music is even better and that these are stories that are some of them are as old as time they're they're familiar stories they're fairy tales they're greek and roman tragedies and comedies and a lot of them are based on shakespeare which is based on insert historical reference that pat would know here <laughs> um this is the, the basis of the show today is the theme is start them young and having Rosie on here with her illustrations that bring to life these characters and these stories in a very accessible, friendly, and also sometimes gory, as you mentioned mm -hmm. in a previous conversation that we had, Rosie, that, that children, they love the blood and guts and the, the scary parts of it. So today's show is, is about younger audiences and how we can make these stories accessible to kids as young as five and six years old. Yeah, and it's, it's the stories, and it's sometimes you just start with the music, and that's fun too. Or it, it's pieces of the stories that we'll talk about, and then that be, can become a step along the road to full-blown opera experience. Mm. Yeah. And like we were talking about earlier as well, Pat, if it is the music, I think for me, my major entry point into opera has been through cartoons uh -huh. and advertisements. Yes. And so I'll hear something in an advertisement and then 25 years later when Pat and I are doing this show, it's like, oh, that was used to advertise trash bags or beer or whatever you know hold on we'll get to that one that's not yet <laughs> we'll get to that one we we actually we have an order that we've planned these in even though we're going to sample lots of different operas but but before we move on to that I'd, I'd like to ask Rosie about her experience working in a box office at an opera house what is that like 
It's really good fun. I've, I've done it now on and off for about six years and at the English National Opera at the London Coliseum. And I'm still working there at the moment. Obviously, it's hairy times, but I'm, I'm still on the books there. And at um, Opera Holland Park as well, which is absolutely lovely. It's a um, seasonal opera company that builds a, a, a tent every year in West London and from scratch in March and they build it all up for the for just for the summer and then they take it all back down again in October and this year they had to make oh. the decision not to but so um, is it open air yes in, in that way yeah oh, wonderful yeah. yeah and the box office is in the park in in part of the auditorium and there was one occasion where I came in in the morning and a squirrel had eaten the um keyboard the the, the, the it stolen the return key on the keyboard <laughs> 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 it's outside and I was blaming someone else in it and we watched the CCTV and it was a, it was a squirrel. <laughs> oh no. Oh, well are are the are the people purchasing the tickets nice to you? Yes, yeah, it's it, I mean it, it varies obviously, but it, there tends to be a lot of people that are very loyal when they come to see it. It means an awful lot. There's some, there's there's huge loyalty to the productions and people come a lot. People also a lot of people come on their own, which is really nice. It means they're really coming for the music and not just mm. For the social side of things so yeah no it's good and obviously the um, the tickets is a wonderful perk so when I was working as an usher as well to be able to see everything was fantastic I think that's when I got really hooked and decided I wanted to illustrate them and then and having been exposed to so many of of the different and uh, not quite a few different versions of operas which is quite nice so um, often in the wrong order so you'd go in and see act two on one day and then the next day you'd see act one <laughs> Another good reason to have the story firmly yeah. in mind. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I, um, I'm i really looking forward. I mean, I know you're working as quickly as you can, but I'm looking forward to seeing your finished work. That'll be super fun. I, I, I said to Rosie the other day when we were, we were chatting about this that um, her style is so distinctive that I, I feel like I've seen her illustrations in some books that I've read to, to young children in the past, but... Uh, Apparently, there's no way to know where your some of your work yeah. is going to end up. <laughs> it is possible because a lot, a lot I do for educational. I, I don't know where. I just I'm asked to do lists of illustrations with lots of other illustrators, and then they could well end up in America or Canada. Or, you know, I'm never quite sure. I should ask for more copies of things. I'm not very good at following things up after it's done. I, I think it's going to be very engaging. I think it's a wonderful gift to the world that I, I'm thrilled to have children be more exposed to to these things anything we can do to engage children with stories because if you work with young children ever you know that that's how they process and understand the world is through stories you start telling mm-hmm. a child a story and and I I've seen this happen with my own children and with any young children I'm with they just they'll they'll drop almost anything to engage with you when you're reading a story telling a story it's mm-hmm. it's their language mm-hmm. and songs too Absolutely. music it's a huge learning a huge driver of learning is is music <laughs> it's so true it's so true it's it always reminds me of that uh, that old expression that uh, music uh, what's the expression music t- after uh, music tames the savage beast mm-hmm. i discovered when i first started teaching very young children that yeah. if, thing, if things are going crazy you just start singing something and everything quiets down Yes. It is magic. 
Mm-hmm. It's completely magical. There's a little parenting tip there or <laughs> teaching tip. <laughs> well, so Pat, one of the one of the other things that we talked about as we were preparing for the show was that you had brought your children to the opera at a very young age. Oh, I'm going to save that story for oh, okay. a particular mm-hmm. opera. Yes, I will. I will save that story. So shall we talk about our first opera that we're going to hear a little selection from? Yes. La Boheme is not necessarily something people think of as a children's opera, but I think Act Two of La Boheme is something that could be very child-friendly. It's very fun. Yeah. Well, that scene yeah. in the market when they all go out and everybody's partying and the ch- it's a, there's a huge chorus of children in that. There was a production at the ENO that Jonathan Miller put on. And they all had balloons. Children had lots and lots of balloons. And it's lovely. It's definitely suitable for children. It's quite... It's a smaller production than the Zeffirelli one. It's because the stage is not as big. The Zeffirelli one, there's 500 people or something on the stage, aren't they? Whereas, yeah, the Jonathan Miller one is a, is a lot smaller. But the beginning of Act Two when... Is it Parpignol? Parpignol? Parpignol, yes. Parpignol comes on. He's got a... Uh, is wheeling a crate full of toys and then giving out balloons. And it's just lovely. And the children are all singing, aren't they? Yes, there's a whole children's chorus and they're just clamoring for the goodies. It's wonderful. And even on, even after Parpignol leaves, there's, I mean, there's just, there's fun. Everybody's having fun. And and even the entrance of Musetta, the, Mm. the larger than life woman who comes in, she's, I mean, she's, fun she's just fun i i just think that's a that's a scene that the kids all all could have a good time with so act two of la boheme by puccini Salome. Thank you. 
Today's episode, we have a special guest, Ms. Rosie Brooks, and we are focusing on children and bringing opera to a younger audience. And Rosie's a great addition to the team to talk about this because she does a lot of illustrations of opera characters. And Rosie, what are we going to be discussing next? Um, we're going to be discussing Ness and Dorma from Turandot. And this was probably my first introduction to opera when I was quite little. It was in the 1990 World Cup, which in the UK is football, which would be soccer in the US. And Pavarotti's big moment where he sang uh, Ness and Dorma became 
I think it was in the charts. It was just on constantly one summer. And I remember loving it and it sort of being an early seed in terms of the music, not knowing what the plot was about at all. And I think once you realise or find out what is actually going on in the song, it's a lot more sinister, but just loving the music. And since then, now illustrating the, the plots, I've, Turandot is one of the ones I've been working on quite recently. And it's actually pretty horrific. But still very fun. It's still, there's, there's, there's fun in it. And it's that, that thing about children that you sort of assume that children are going to be scared by violence and, and gore and things. And they're not at all. As long as it's Tom and Jerry levels of decapitation and it's not, it's not realistic, <laughs> then it's absolutely fine. So I've been drawing lots of little prince's heads on sticks this week oh dear well it's it's the fairy tale level of violence right yeah because fairy tales are loaded with violent acts Mm. but it's a way of processing the dangers of the world and yeah Turandot I think think falls into that folkloric yeah quality yeah where like in Hansel and Gretel the the witch uh shoves them into the oven yeah and we tell that to kids when they're five years old but so for those of um, those of our listeners who perhaps don't know the arc of the story of Turandot, what, uh, just briefly, Rosie, what, what are you drawing that helps illustrate the, the story? Um, well, at the moment, it's the, the, the history of the princess that, that she challenges any potential suitors that they have to pass, um, I think it's three riddles. And yes. yes, and if they don't get it right, then they lose their heads. And at the beginning, there's a very handsome one that comes on and you think he's going to get reprieved and then he doesn't. She, she does the gesture to say off with his head. And then the main character, who is the one that sings Ness and Dorma, is it Prince Calif? Calif? Yes, yeah, in yeah. fact, he's, he's the unnamed prince for oh, half exactly. of the opera. Exactly, right. and spoiler. Later we learn yeah. his name. Right, because then they do like a Rumpelstiltskin type thing with him that... that uh, if she can guess his name, right? Exactly, right. yeah. She turns it on him and says that, that um, she has to find out his name. Um, and that's what the Ness and Dorma is, that no, none shall sleep that night because they're all trying to find out his name. Because you don't. Obviously, the audience know his name, but the cast don't know his name. That's what it's all Well, and it's only because he's been so magnanimous to give her another chance to kill him because he, in fact, has answered these truly impossible riddles these nonsensical riddles he's somehow or another answered them and she is so bereft at the idea that she's going to marry this man and it's not that she has to marry this man it's that she hates all men because her ancestress was mistreated i mean it's it's a deep story but yeah it's it, quite a heavy plot mm, thrown dot mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm. but it but it also works on this folkloric level and and then there's the poor slave girl who's sacrificial in the plot and her father it's it's really <laughs> the music is spectacular it's not my favorite story yeah, yeah. Ness and Dorma is one of it's one of my favorites also and it's just it has that soaring tenor music that's so inspiring yeah so as Americans we were not as uh, attuned to the World Cup I will confess <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's let's do Ness and Dorma. Ness 
tua fredda stanza This is Opera for Everyone, and on today's episode, we are doing a very special Start Them Young edition with Rosie Brooks, illustrator and opera lover extraordinaire. Thank you. Rosie, where where are we going next, Rosie? The next composer we're looking at is Rossini and the Barber of Seville. And again, my introduction to, particularly to the overture, was not necessarily through the opera. It was, there's a cabaret duo called Kit and the Widow, that I've never seen live, but I've heard their albums, and I think we must have had a vinyl record of it. And the the overture, there's a song called Glimborn, which is set to this music. So I was always familiar with the tune before I realised which opera it was from. And it's very funny. It, it takes the mickey out of the sort of people that go to Glimborn, um, <laughs> and to the tune of this. So now I, I, it's hard to separate them. It's very, very funny. And so for, for listeners in the States that may or may not have heard of Glindborn, Glindborn is a town. Or, or the expression takes the mickey out of. Oh, right. Takes yes, the mickey, yes. right. Makes fun of. Yes. Uh, pokes fun at. So Glindborn is a town in, uh, it's outside of London about an hour, yes? Yeah, yeah, in Lewis. And in in Lewis, okay. Yeah. And there's a, um, 
a festival every year, an opera festival that goes on for the entire summer, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 I think so. And they do all different kinds of stagings, and it is considered one of the premier opera festivals in the world. Yeah, 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 and yeah. it's absolutely lovely. It's gorgeous, gorgeous part of the festival. Yeah, and the there's a there's a grounds, and you can bring a picnic, and they they break at intermission for quite a long time, and they have. Uh, you can go to the restaurant and have dinner or you can yeah. bring a picnic and go on the grounds and there's artworks and sculptures and it's quite the English uh, sort of bucolic cultural experience. Exactly. I took my mum there a couple of summers ago and we discovered they have champagne boys and these are young what men or boys that are dressed up that go around picking up all the bottles of champagne people have left on the lawn. And Is that they're, right? They're called the champagne boys, yes. Oh no! It's like it's like the ball boys at Wimbledon, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Pat, have you ever been to Glyndebourne? I have not been to Glyndebourne. No, yet. <laughs> yes, there's time. I mean, yeah. once the world reopens, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually the the year that that Rosie and I actually didn't meet, but were at the same wedding, I was able to go to Glyndebourne and see. Madam Butterfly. Okay, but I digress. So we've gotten off on an entire tangent about Glyndebourne, but the reason that we were discussing it was because of the Barber of Seville. And it was it was a song that was poking fun at the opera festival Glyndebourne. Is there anything else that we'd like to discuss about the Barber of Seville? Uh, what Wasn't this overture also used in a very famous Bugs Bunny cartoon? The Rabbit yes. of Seville, 1949? Oh. Is that right? Yes. Well, see, I, I've heard it, of course, most of my references are, if they're not cartoons, it's advertisements. So I believe that this song was used to sell paper towels or something. Okay, so. I think it's time to hear it. All right. So this is the overture from The Barber of Seville by Rossini.
for everyone and we've just heard the overture from the barber of seville and we're going to continue on the barber of seville with one of the most famous arias that people who don't know anything about opera have probably actually heard and that's the largo al factorum better known as figaro 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 right and even if you don't know the, the entire song and you probably don't you know the part that Keely just sang. <laughs> you know that one too, don't you, Rosie? Yes, yeah, yeah. Out of context of the opera for a very long time. I think I had it on a compilation cassette when I was little. And people tend to sing along. I think it's got the karaoke factor that people people sing along with this one, <laughs> don't they? Well, right. I, I feel like it's it's the thing when people are are pretending to do opera when they don't know anything about opera. I mean, as a child, right, we would hear, Figaro, Figaro, Figaro. <laughs> and you didn't know why people were singing it. I didn't even know it was a person's name when I first heard it. It just was a, a thing. It was, you know, like singing La La La, really. Well, and he's such a funny character, Figaro. Well, it's opera buffa in this opera case. Buffa. Well, and I think the, the other thing that I found confusing is that... Largo al factorum is this is the Figaro 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 song. Yes. And then there's the Marriage of Figaro, which a lot of people have heard of, which is a Mozart opera. But yes. this song, Largo al factorum, is yes. not from the Mozart opera Marriage of Figaro, but it is the same character. So, what gives? It comes from similar source material the same playwright wrote a trio of plays a trilogy if you will uh Beaumarchais he's a French playwright Mm -hmm. and he wrote the Barber of Seville he wrote the Marriage of Figaro and the third La Mère Coupable the Guilty Mother which was not made into an opera until the late 20th century I believe and it never attained the stature of these other two, which are really part of the canon. I imagine they're both going to be part of Rosie's book. Definitely. <laughs> yes. Um, but the interesting thing is that, and then that, by the way, that play didn't even exist when Mozart wrote his opera because Beaumarchais was still alive and hadn't completed all the, the works. Ah. Uh, but Mozart really grabbed on to the middle or the second of the two plays which featured Figaro because it he liked the themes that uh, 
Beaumarchais was going after. There's a lot mm. of interesting sort of revolutionary ideas. Uh, Beaumarchais was a big support. Um, now you're going to get me off on history, Keely. That's okay. That's you tempt me, Keely. You tempt me. I'm uh, confused. The, 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 Ideals of the French Revolution, uh, ideals obliterating some of the social hierarchies of class, those are very much explored in Mozart's Marriage of Figaro, and, th- and those existed even to a stronger degree in Beaumarchais' play. Uh-huh. Uh, and you see that a little bit in the Opera Buffa, Barber of Seville, but the Rossini opera is composed in the early 19th century, and he's an Italian, and we're in a different historical time period and he's more interested in just having a good time with the opera he's he's a little less interested in the political commentary mm. and even though Mozart's is very couched but it is the same character just at an earlier period of time and it, it it's not just Figaro that's the same character it's a whole the whole constellation mm-hmm. not everyone but but a whole constellation of characters who are the same in the and is in this the, two the operas. one that is this the opera where Carabino? Carabino. No, he's in Marriage of Figaro. Yes. Rosie's nodding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So just to just to just to uh, right, and that's quite clarify. funny. I mean, Carabino is quite a funny character in. It's a trouser I mean, role. Yeah, it is indeed. Yes. <laughs> See, some of the stuff sticks. <laughs> now I'm just showing off. Um, Okay, so Barbara of Seville is the first in the trilogy. Marriage of Figaro is the second. And the character Figaro is the Barber of Seville, correct? He is the Barber of Seville. And this is at a point in time when a barber... Well, what is a barber, Rosie? In this context, he's a fixer, isn't he? So he's showing off about all the things he can do to fix. And he's saying his name lots of times to just show off about how amazing he is and how he can just sort everything out for everyone else. So it's not just the equivalent of like a hairdresser. It's it's everything you need, basically. And and the Count Almaviva, he's saying to him, I can sort anything you want out for money. Right. Yeah. And so that's where he's saying his name over and over again. Yeah. He's saying he's uh, sort of mimicking all the people who are like, Figaro, please do this. Figaro, yeah. please do that. Yeah. And so, Rosie, you were saying earlier that it, uh, there's a comic, right, that throws this into the mix sometimes that you hear this song oh yes yeah there's a comedian in the uk called paul whitehouse and he actually again when i was very little there was a series on tv uh guide to opera harry enfield and paul whitehouse and this particular comic he doesn't he's not an opera singer but he can sing this completely perfectly in operatic style and he's done it a few times and it's such a shock there's a wonderful sketch where i think he's a fishmonger or he's working in a market and then all of a sudden he starts in full throttle so it's fabulous well in this rendition we'll be hearing german baritone hermann prey a great interpreter of rossini's figaro Thank <laughs> you. 
Seville basically flexing, telling us how amazing he is. And we are going to continue on with another Rossini opera, the William Tell Overture. 
And I know this basically from, I guess, the Lone Ranger, and it's just kind of in the cultural milieu, and people just kind of know it. William Tell's story, I think, is one that I, I presume has been done in quite a lot of children's books already, and it's just very strong imagery of William Tell's son standing in front of the tree and William Tell with the arrow and the apple on his head. And out of the context of the rest of the story, that's the image that people have are aware of with William Tell. That's my starting point, I think. Yeah, I feel like I've seen that depicted in cartoons as well. The overture is, it's in the air. We hear it. And it and it gets our blood racing, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I, I am always like, you know, you, you pretend you're riding a horse and then you gallop around the living room trying to make the two-year-olds laugh, right? <laughs> For example, not that I've ever done that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
This is a special edition of Opera for Everyone with illustrator Rosie Brooks. And we are moving on to one of my favorite operas. And it's this fantastical and absurd and with brilliant, hilarious characters and also some very evil characters. And so, Rosie, you have illustrated The Magic Flute. Would you like to talk a little bit about the characters and what you're, what story you're telling? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They it lends itself very well for illustration because the characters are all so extreme, like Papagena and Papagena. They're bird people, so they have birds' cages on their backs, and there's feathers. And the Queen of the Night is like a huge witch, and Sarastro is a sun god. So the the imagery is extremely colourful and intense. There are lots of children's versions of it already, and actually, I think at the Met, Morris Sendak who illustrated Where the Wild Things Are. Oh, he staged yeah. a version of it, which I've got a book of. So it, it, the, the connection with children seems to be there. Although the story is quite dark if you actually read the context, but people tend to... It's, it's a go-to opera for children, I think. Um, certainly in a abridged form. I think in its, in its full form, it's about three hours long, isn't it? So it's quite a lot for children, but the songs from it and the music from it is definitely something that people use as a first opener for children, I think. Mm. And so one of the songs that we're going to listen to is known as the, the Queen of the Night aria. And Pat, what is this about? Well, yes. And before we get to that, I just wanted to mention as it being a good opera for children, it does it does show up in abridged versions and matinees for kids. And I think similar to Hansel and Gretel that we talked about in one of our holiday specials, Keely, it's one of the ones that the large opera houses will in fact do in translation. They'll perform it in English. Opera houses that won't perform most operas in translation will perform Magic Flute in translation to make it accessible specifically to children ah which i I think puts it in a in a very special category so this Mm -hmm. is one to take the kids to is what they're saying because these characters there are serious themes not that children can't Mm -hmm. handle serious themes but it's it's one they can Mm -hmm. in a in a in a fairy tale good versus evil sort of way well i would say i mean like the wizard of oz is one of the most popular kids program you know i mean towards and it's terrifying with the flying monkeys and the you know i mean i think it's a, a not dissimilar theme to the magic flute with the queen of the night and all that kind of stuff but so the aria the queen of the night aria if they translate that into english it's quite terrifying and to my ears that aria sounds incredibly happy and peppy and it's one of those odd for for my ear it's one of those odd arias where she's saying like terror burns in my heart or rage burns in my heart or something hell's revenge but then yes. she's like, ah, 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 ah. but it's to me, it's it's a fierce, like it's it's like a scream. She's a fierce woman, letting us know that she's going to defeat this man that she's so angry at. Hmm. This was also famous for the Florence Foster Jenkins. I don't know what, at Carnegie Hall. There was that singer that used to sing out of tune. And she was famous, and this is the aria that she used to sing. There's a um, CD, Murder on the High Seas, and it's it's her version of this, and it, she, she doesn't quite hit all the notes. Meryl Streep played her in a film oh, a years yeah. ago, and this is the famous song that she does the version of. Where she just, like... Where she's lower down on a moon. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think it's a very easy aria, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's imagine very... it's incredibly uh, physical. I would imagine it's very difficult to sing. All right, I I have a tiny, tiny little story. (laughs) Back when 
cassette tapes were the thing, and my children were young. <laughs> we had a cassette story tape that told the story of, sort of a version of the story of kids kind of going through an adventure of the magic flute. It was a little bit mangled of the story, but it was the adventure of the magic flute with little snippets of the music. And we had about a 20 minute drive to and from school each day. And they loved this and they would sing along and young children singing along to the queen of the night is just (laughs) the most precious thing in the world. So I recommend this to every parent. Have your children, when they're young, sing along to the Queen of the Night. <laughs> oh, that's lovely, Pat. And so was it, what language was that? In? Oh, it was Do in you English. Recall? It was translated. Oh, it was. English. It was translated into English. So they were sing- huh. So they were singing all those dark lyrics. I think the lyrics were even, you know, softened, softened. a little bit. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, shall we have a listen? Yes. So we transition from the queen of the night to my favorite characters, Papageno and Papagena in the Magic Flute. Rosie, would you like to tell us a little bit about them? Um, yes, just how lovely they've been to illustrate because they're, they're naturally very visually, um, they're, they're two bird people and they've got bird cages on their back and they're covered in feathers. So they're absolutely lovely and they're singing this wonderful song to each other about how much they love each other. And it sounds a little bit like birds as well, the way that they're singing. <laughs> So sei mein liebes Weibchen, so sei mein Herzensträubchen, mein liebes Weibchen, mein liebes Weibchen. 
Freude wird das sein. Listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. Opera for Everyone is hosted by me, Keely Heron, and me, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. Welcome back to the second half of today's episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And we are joined on the program today by the illustrious illustrator, Ms. <laughs> Rosie Brooks, all the way from London. And we are focusing on the children and how we can inspire kids to love opera. And during the break, we were just chatting about how we each came to opera. And I... I didn't listen to opera as a child and I don't have any kids. So, so my exposure is just that um, I think I approach opera kind of like a child <laughs> in that I don't, I don't know, you know, I, or certainly before we started doing the program, Pat, uh, I didn't know a lot about it and I didn't uh, have the historical context for a lot of the stories, but I just loved the music and the spectacle and the pageantry of opera and found it at the same time calming and sort of energizing. And so that was my introduction to opera. But would either of you like to talk about how you discovered opera or your experiences with opera as a child or your experiences with 
kids and opera? Um, well, for me, I think it was long car journeys. We had a lot of tapes in the car and then on holidays. I we, when I was little, we drove around the south of France and I think all the way down to Italy one year and we always had these compilation tapes and I think a couple of them must have been the best hits, greatest hits of opera. So those particular tunes, I think some of the arias and some of the choruses, became very, very familiar, completely out of the context of the stories. And it was only later on that I began to piece them together, which ones were from which. But the music itself was very, very familiar on its own, um, like Ness and Dorma at the beginning, that, that it was as only later that you realised, put, put them all in like a jigsaw, which, which music went with which opera. So I've kind of expanded from getting to know the music to start with. And so were you able to actually sing along? I mean, with a cassette tape, you would think you would listen to it over and over on a, on a road trip. Yeah, I think actually... my sister and I probably, I think we probably did sing sing along. And also when you're on holiday, you kind of lose your inhibitions a bit. Like, but we did go down to Italy, so I think it was, you know, the birthplace of opera and all that. So I think we we definitely immersed ourselves in it. And, and the Figaro, I remember singing along to that when I was very little. That's a good one for it. My husband and I got tickets to the symphony in New York, and um, but then once we had kids and got babysitters, we were so exhausted and found that just uh, music, uh, we got sleepy. It's terrible to say it was beautiful music, but it was just <laughs> hard. It was just hard. And you were so, taking opera naps, Pat. Oh, I was taking symphony naps. It was. <laughs> I was taking philharmonic naps. It was. I mean, didn't not intentional and very sad for myself to miss such beautiful music. But then we said, well, let's try the opera. We thought, well, you know, there might be more to um, keep you we awake. Might, we might do better <laughs> with the opera. And so we fell in love. New York City Opera was something that existed at that time right there in Lincoln Center. And we got a subscription and year after year we would go. And that was our that was our really big treat. And so I approached it from more from a, a story point of view. Well, as we know from Opera for Everyone, that's where I am from the, the story point of view and the fitting things into history. That's, that's my angle. But I, I think that's the beauty of the opera is you can approach it from all these different directions and get fun out of it from all different sorts of ways. And I think, mm -hmm. I think kids can too. Okay. So we won't have an opera helmet quiz today since we aren't telling a story, but uh, as we transition to the second half of today's program, what do we have on tap, Pat? Well, we have another representative of the Bel Canto School. We have Donizetti, L'Elysile de l'Amour, The Elixir of Love, and it is a fun opera. I would say this would be a good one for kids. It's a good, fun little love story, a romp. It's a good starter opera, I think, for anyone who wants to just go and enjoy a good story. And we honestly, we could have picked any number of songs from this opera, but I took the liberty of selecting two that I really like. And the first one is when Nemerino our male lead, decides he's going to show the woman he's interested in that he's, he doesn't need to be so interested in her because he knows in the back of his mind that he's got a secret weapon. Rosie, are you illustrating this one? I've just started it, actually, yeah. And it's the, Ooh, the character who... Well, the, 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 I can't remember the name of the... the um, Dul Dulcimera? Dul Dul how do you say it? Dr. Uh, Dulcamara. Um, 
Dalkamara, oh. yeah, I've just started working on that character, so he's um, seemingly an apocryphal, but obviously with no spoiler alerts. It's the oldest liquor in or um there there are no written. spoiler alerts in no opera. spoiler no yeah, we call alert. him a snake oil salesman yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah he's the fun character i think that, uh, that the, the comic relief from um but it is a lovely story and it's quite a sweet one i think it's not there's nothing dark or complicated it's quite a nice neat story i think it was yeah, it's lovely. and the music is lovely with a name like the elixir of love it can't be too dark no. Yes, which, which P.S. is just a bottle of Bordeaux, but you know, <laughs> the placebo effect is strong. <laughs> and is there anything else you want to tell us about this song, Pat? Well, honestly, I think I'm just going to tell you about two songs that are fun to hear, and they're they're not back to back in the opera. But there's the la 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 song where he's just sort of he's not a guy who knows really how to play it cool, but he's trying to play it cool with this very sophisticated woman in his town who he's madly in love with is he wooing her he's he's trying he's trying and she will fall in love as as rosie said it does have a happy ending (laughs) and then the other song that i'm highlighting here is the the very final song of the opera which is the one that i think was going to stay in my head forever because years and years after i first saw the opera it still just bounces along in my brain, the Dr. Dolkamara song. Because even the guy who is trying to cheat everyone in the opera, the snake oil salesman, he just carries on at the end. He's, he's, everyone knows he's been a cheat. Doesn't matter. He's like, look at them. They're actually in love. It's all good. Buy my stuff. It must work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, even even the bad guy, as such as he is, he's not that bad, and he doesn't even really get a comeuppance. It's a cute story. Even if it is just a bottle of Bordeaux, I mean, <laughs> little beer goggles. Haven't you ever been at a bar at the end of the night, and you're like, hmm, you look pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard to argue with results, even if it is just a bottle of Bordeaux. If they fell in love, Dr. Dolcomara did his job. Es un 
edition of Opera for Everyone and we have just heard from Donizetti's Elixir of Love and we are moving into a work by Verde, Il Trovatore and this is a song that in typical fashion for me I know from advertising but Rosie you said (laughs) that you are just in the process of illustrating this one. Yeah, this is one I've just started. So I'm laying out the story and the characters and the Anvil Chorus, which is the piece of music we're going to listen to, is the most recognised sort of visual image of the anvil, like in Looney Tunes, you know, with the sort of sharpened end and it's and all the, all the workers are hitting the anvils and it creates part of the noise in the orchestra. And it's a lovely song. It's a work song, mm. as you said. Yeah. It's got that, that rhythm, that driving rhythm and... So where are we set, Pat? What are the workers doing? Why are they there? 
It's the gypsy encampment. Trovatore is one of these middle period Verdi operas, one of these super, I mean Verdi, it's hard to say one of the popular Verdi operas. He's got so many, but but it is. (laughs) And this is the home base of one group of the people in the opera. And like a lot of these operas, there's some very dark stuff that happens as part of the story in this opera. But this piece of the opera is very evocative and very engaging. And the fact that you've got these muscly guys on stage, usually torsos bare and certainly biceps bulging, wielding sledgehammers, hitting anvils as part of the percussion in the music that's being made. It's spectacular. Yeah, I can just see my nephew who's seven getting excited about that. Yeah, it's it's great. to Opera for Everyone, and on today's program we are discussing operas and operatic pieces that are appealing to children, and we have Rosie Brooks, an illustrator. Our next piece, which comes from one of my favorite operas, Carmen, 
by Bizet, and uh, the Habanera, which is also known as, the, the title is Love is a Rebellious Bird, but it's known as the Habanera, sung by the lead character in the opera Carmen. And you mentioned that you had recalled seeing it somewhere in a puppet version. Uh, yes, yeah, we were talking about the, uh, the, the classic with the red rose in the hair. I think it was the Muppets. There was a version with Miss Piggy that was deep in the memory, but knowing where I first heard it, it would have been in a comic fashion. And it's that kind of stereotype of the Spanish gypsy, you know, with, with, with all the, the regalia. You recently illustrated this one. Yeah, I've, I've been working on, I'm, I'm redoing some of some of the earlier illustrations I did about four years ago. And I got unstuck with Carmen because I put her in a red dress. And as people may or may not know, she comes to a sticky end and red, if she's wearing a red dress, in children's book illustration in watercolour, it's quite hard to depict blood and red dress. So I'm not quite sure where I'm going to go with it. But um, it's, I've sort of found a way, but, but I think I wish I'd chosen a different colour to start with. It would have been a lot easier. <laughs> Yellow with blood would, yeah. might have been easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so is there anything that you'd like to tell us about this song and the Habanera and what her character is talking about. It's just about how she's, it's not needing men, is it? That she's in control of her own destiny and it's she's she's in charge of, of her own life, isn't it? I think. Is that, Pat, is that how you would? Well, yes, except she's doing this while she's bound. She's been captured oh, by course, the soldiers yeah. for starting yeah. a fight with the other women in her, yeah. her cigarette factory. And she's singing this song to the relatively naive young soldier who's been given the task of guarding her and she knows full well that while she sings this song about her own belief in herself she's being very seductive with him yeah and and it's worth mentioning that this song is also powerfully and effectively used in the beginning sequences of the movie up hi Mm. is that yeah the animated yeah Mm. when he's alone and he's having to live his life without his wife that's the music that's playing yes right it's it's the music that's playing and it's it's part of what makes i mean kids typically aren't brought to tears by this but i know a fair few number of grown-ups who are brought to tears partly because of the music in that scene in up Mm -hmm. it's beautiful music and i dare say it'll be familiar to virtually everyone who listens to it all right so this is the habanera from bizet's carmen Yes. 
Listening to Opera for Everyone, and we've just heard from Carmen in Bizet's Carmen, and that was the Habanera. And now we are going to turn to another important character in this opera. Well, if you're going to have an opera about magnificent things going on in a bullfighting town, you're going to need a bullfighter. Mm-hmm. And you're going to need a bullfighter with a lot of swagger and mm-hmm. a lot of self confidence. Are there any bullfighters that don't have swagger? I. I 
<laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> they're they're laying on the they're laying on the ground in the dust in the ring. No, yeah. the ones who survive. Yeah, there he he enters with swagger. In fact, the most recent production of of Carmen that I saw, he enters riding a horse onto the stage, just to into the bar. By the way, on a horse. So <laughs> it was pretty really? fun. Yeah. <laughs> The way to make an entrance. <laughs> it was spectacular. Yeah, he is, um, he is such a larger-than-life character. In fact, Bizet was, was sort of pushed to write this character to be over the top. And he was almost a little embarrassed by like, yeah, yeah, you want over the top? I can do over the top. And he really sort of thought he overdid it. But it's one of the most loved songs in the entire canon of the opera repertoire. Yes, definitely. I think it's one of my favorite. I think it is one of the, the best known pieces of music in opera. If you take it out of context, it's one people will have definitely heard of, I think. Yeah, I think, I think on my very first Opera for Everyone show with you, Keely, we talked about this. And I told you, I, one of my earliest memories of opera was hearing this song mashed together on a Gilligan's Island episode when I was a child when they tried to do a an opera version of Hamlet and they used this tune and put some of the words from Polonius that's what it was it was Polonius giving advice (laughs) neither a borrower nor, nor a lender be to the tune of the Toreador song isn't that funny it's crazy. Well, they, were, they were on an island. They didn't have access to the internet, Pat. So they couldn't check their facts and see. They didn't no, know. It was ridiculous. So so let's go ahead and play this tune so that people can just have all these connections come in. They've heard this tune other places, I'm sure. Señor, señor, caramec les soldats. Pour plaisir, pour plaisir, ils ont de fête, le cirque
fait silence, on fait silence, à que se passe-t-il Il te glisse le sang, il te glisse le sang, le temps en silence, en bondissant, en corrille, il s'élance, il entre, il frappe, un cheval roule, entre notre picador. So we've just heard from Escamillo in Bizet's Carmen, and we're going to transition from the fiery southern Spanish setting of Carmen to a slightly more restrained, refined, traditional operatic setting. Pat, where are we going next? Well, I don't know that it's entirely traditional, but <laughs> we're going to hear a little bit from Strauss's Rosenkavalier. And given our topic, starting them young, <laughs> this is a little bit, this is not, Rosenkavalier is not necessarily a starting them young opera, but I'm going to tell a story about myself as a mother here. <laughs> this is where I started my children with opera. I don't recommend it, but sometimes... No judgments. No judgments, Pat. Thank you. Judge. <laughs> sometimes you have to seize your opportunities. So we had this subscription to the New York City Opera, my husband and I, way back when. and Which we, no longer exists, sadly. Sadly, sadly. And uh, we had the babysitter booked, and everything was all set. And the babysitter canceled four hours before we were to leave to see the opera and we really had our hearts set on this opera and there were uh there was an upcoming opera that we couldn't and they had this wonderful exchange policy and my husband and I looked at each other and we're like let's call the box office and see if we can exchange the one we can't go for for two additional seats for the two kids and bring the kids it was a, by the way it was a Friday night performance brilliant right the kids had been in school all day they were little bring them sit them down, they'll probably just fall asleep with beautiful music, it'll be fine. And <laughs> this is what this was our, our solution to not having a babysitter. So we bring them in, sit them down, and the, the younger one promptly falls asleep. He's he's he was he's to this day he's a good sleeper. And the older one was on the we, we we bundled up the coats and let him sit so his head was not as tall as an adult but tall enough and he kind of was able to look between the other opera goers and he was on the edge of his seat for the entirety of the opera glued to the what was watching and he he was pretty good reader at the time and reading the super titles and he 
was entranced. I may have dozed off for a moment or two on a Friday <laughs> evening after a long work week. He loved the opera so much, and he is an opera lover to this day. And not only that, I thought for sure he would fall asleep returning home. He was just a bundle of questions and conversation, and he was so stimulated by seeing this opera. It was amazing. So, which is my way of saying maybe don't start with an evening performance on a Friday night. Maybe don't start with Rosen Cavalier, but maybe try taking your kids to an opera younger than you might think. Give it a try with a matinee. You might be surprised by how they respond to it. Anyway, oh, I... Oh, that's I, lovely. I, <laughs> <laughs> Rosie, is Rosen Cavalier one of the stories that you're illustrating for your book? Yeah, yeah, I'm working on it at the moment. I've just spent the last few weeks, actually, quite recently, trying to work out how to, to recreate silver in watercolour because they, the um, Rosen Cavaliers all dressed up in the most amazing silver regalia and I think she is as well as it's a silver ball so they're uh, to recreate silver brocade um, and I think I've just about managed it with a combination of blue, blue and, and a grey that, that creates that look but it's lovely and it's beyond the topic isn't it I spoke to a friend who said that their daughter when they were asked what was their favourite opera and they said Lulu and they said no opera and they said Lulu by Berg yes yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. And it's, so it's easy, easy to assume, but yeah, you don't know what's going to hit them. You don't. Well, it's. I mean, Strauss's music it sweeps you up. Mm. It propels you forward. You just don't know what's going to click with some people. So, you know, even the people you know best. So, <laughs> there you go. I picked. Well, we'll just play a, a short piece from Rosen Cavalier. It's this presentation of the rose moment. Rosen Cavalier, the title character, is this young man played by, uh, it's a trouser role, it's, so it's played by a mezzo-soprano. And that, I thought that would be confusing to my son, that this man was played by, not confusing at all. They Kids just, they jump in and they go with it. It's great. Mm, they're malleable. They're used to things that seem strange to adults. They're not set in their ways. They just run with it. They're fine. They go with it. and But they love the regalia and the pageantry, so this is a, a pageantry moment.
this is Opera for Everyone, and you've just heard from Strauss's Rosen Cavalier, and we are now going to transition to a composer without whom a discussion of opera and popular culture would not be complete. And it's surprising because Wagner, and particularly Wagner's Ring Cycle, is uh, considered within the opera world to be something of, a, of an endurance test. The, the Ring Cycle is, it's, I don't know, it's four operas and it's, each opera is at least four hours and it's incredible. But, but Wagner appears in everything from movies like Apocalypse Now to Bugs Bunny. What's Up Product, which is the music for, well, it's actually the music from Tannhauser, but it's Bugs Bunny as Brunhilde on an enormous horse, Grain, coming down the hill to Elmer Fudd at the bottom of the hill. Um, and it's one of, one of my favourite pieces of YouTube, which I've watched. I've got very serious friends in opera who, who will watch that over and over again. I think it's about 30 seconds long and it's one of the funniest clips in, in, in the, the whole of YouTube, I think. We're going to send everyone running to YouTube too. Yeah. <laughs> to check it out. <laughs> it's so, it's wonderful, right? It's because it's, it, he's chasing, chasing. And Elmer Fudd, mm. I think, isn't this one of the ones where Elmer Fudd triumphs at the end? Yeah, yeah, must, it must do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's particularly the clip of, of Bugs Bunny as Brunhilde is one of the funniest things, I think. Right, because... Um, it's up there as Miss Piggy. Miss Piggy was... There's, there's one episode where she's Carmen, isn't she? But this, but Bugs Bunny as Brunhilde is even funnier, I think. Yeah, see? Children and opera, they go together. Peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> kids, kids love opera. They love it. And of course, there's that famous bit of, of Wagner music that everyone knows, but most people don't even know it's from Wagner called Treulich Geführt, or Faithfully Guided, within Lohengrin, but most of us know it as The dun, Wedding March. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you remember as a kid mm-hmm. singing that to alternate lyrics? Oh, yeah, Here Comes the Bride, and then, yeah, yeah inc- incredibly rude ones that... Yes, yeah. incredibly rude ones. <laughs> oh, I mean, not so not so rude now if you look back, but here comes a bride and whatever would rhyme with that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. All dressed in white. Wide. There was, there, was yeah. there, there were the kind ones, but then there were the not yeah. so kind ones. Uh-huh. Well, maybe we could hear just a little snippet of the operatic version.
So you've just heard what we all know as the Wedding March or Here Comes the Bride by Wagner. And we're going to go to the other extreme, perhaps, of Wagner's repertoire here, away from uh, lovely Here Comes the Bride to the Ride of the Valkyries, which I know from Apocalypse Now, but it's on everything. I mean, it's in commercials, it's in cartoons. And Rosie, you were mentioning that there's several funny bits. There's lots of versions of it, just images of all these women riding in on horses. Um, I faintly remember about... 10 or 15 years ago, um, it was on at Glastonbury. The English National Opera had the orchestra there on the stage and they played the Ride of the Valkyries and all these hippies and people from Glastonbury all just transfixed by it. They're blasting it out. Yeah, it's one, one in popular culture, definitely. So we'll hear a little bit from Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries. <laughs> that ride with the Valkyries it's it's like with any time (laughs) that you're with children we need to calm down from our exciting playtime maybe read a fairy tale story before we all go off hopefully to dreamland put the kids to bed maybe a fairy tale is in order yeah definitely there are several 
operas and fairy tales go together, don't they? Well, it's like we were talking about earlier. When you set uh, set a story to music, it makes it a little bit easier to to understand. Not that long ago, Keely, you and I talked about Rusalka. Yes, based on Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid. Is that one of the ones you're illustrating, Rosie? Yeah, I've just just started working on it. It's um, it's a lot darker than the Disney version of The Little Mermaid. Put it that way. <laughs> There's no singing crab. <laughs> <laughs> no Sebastian. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no Sebastian. Um, but no, the music, particularly the song for the moon, is absolutely lovely. Um, and uh, yeah, I just started. What's the name of the witch? I can't remember. Yeji Baba. Yeji Baba. Yeah, I started working on her characters. Um, I think, yeah, Rizalka is one of the ones that's closest to original children's fairy tale stories. It's it's definitely a good one to work on. Yeah, that that one, we when we talked about it, it it takes from a lot of different um, stories and and pulls them together. The Mm -hmm. Hans Christian Andersen, the Czech original, it's um, it's wonderful. It's a again, it's it's like any of these things. It's not written for children but there's a lot that that children depending on the version that you see and depending on on ages and and uh, temperaments of children there there can be a lot there and the music can be quite appealing to them mm. speaking of czech operas there's also the jana czech cunning little vixen which is more straightforward fairy tale than most operas mm. the title character is a vixen is a female fox and it's actually cited as a children's opera i think it's the most likely to be in terms of performance repertoire that and the magic flute they actually program them for children don't i think cunning little vixen is definitely even though it's quite sad i've never heard of this i've never heard of it i've never heard of it as a story so the the title character is actually a fox yes yeah yes so she's like a little fox lady Yes, and she's Mr. cunning. Fox cubs. <laughs> she's a clever fox. <laughs> mm. Aww. Yes, and it's, I mean, it's, it, it is a fairy tale. It, it's from a culture that's tied to the earth, and it's people mm. who live with nature and animals and life cycles. So yeah. there is a, a sense of, of, of birth and death in the, in the opera, and that's not unusual for fairy tales to have birth and death in them. There's a sadness when death happens, but there's also a sense of it being part of the cycle of life. And that happens in a lot yeah. of fairy tales. Yeah. And it's not horror like in some of the operas where it's it's a horrific incident. This is actually just a, an evolution that's that's not too shocking for children. It's probably the one with the most animals as well, isn't it? That is interesting that Magic Flute and Cunning Little Vixen are the two for children and they've got the most animal references with the forest isn't it with magic food it's all about the natural enchanted oh, forest yeah yeah well, yeah an animal and and characters that are animals yeah right yeah and you know. and i and i believe if again it's one of these <laughs> one of these ones that could send people to youtube i think there's some animated versions of it out there mm. that you can pull up and and get a little sample of what's going on or so even some full-length versions that you can access uh many well, of them tra- the lovely translated. costumes isn't it it lends itself to lovely costumes i think you know with the tails and everything so oh. there's a frog in it as well from what i can remember yeah yeah it's a fun one and then of course there are two very famous versions a french and an italian version of cinderella yes la cenarendola which we we did do here on opera for everyone a while back the rossini an you opera buffa one. and uh, massenet did uh, cendrillon 
which is lovely as well. We have not yet done that one on Opera for Everyone. So those are fairy tales that everyone can enjoy as well. Mm-hmm. Hansel and Gretel. Are you doing Hansel and Gretel, Rosie? Yeah. Hansel and Gretel is one of the operas that I've probably done the most work on recently. And it is definitely the most associated story, children's book story. And there are hundreds of versions that people have done of the original story. And the opera is quite close to the original fairy tale as well, I think, whereas Rosalka and The Little Mermaid are slightly further apart, whereas Hansel and Gretel, it's a fairly straight run of the story, apart from the fact, obviously, the opera singers are normally adults that play the two children. But it's, yeah, the the, um, gingerbread house and the crunch witch, is that how you call it? I think there's lots of different ways of describing her, but when they push her in the oven and all the children come back to life having been made gingerbread and stuff. It's, it's definitely the stuff of children's fairy tales. And in, in the opera world, I think that's it's the, the closest example of a children's story depicted in opera. And it's lovely, lovely music as well. Well, and it's interesting too, you were talking earlier about how the themes in some of these mm-hmm. are actually easier to draw when it is violent. Yeah, and, yeah, and also and it's ultra violence. To, yeah, it's easier to explain to children. So, like pushing yeah. a, pushing a witch into an oven is pretty yeah. boring. Yeah, no, exactly. The uh, ultra violence is fine. If it, like in Turandot, where they um, she does the gesture and it's off with her heads, so that's fine. Even in Salome, the head on the plate is less complicated to depict than the Dance of the Seven Veils because the, the, uh, that kind of level of ultraviolence at Halloween level isn't threatening to children. Children just don't take it seriously because they can't relate to it, so it's fine. It doesn't scare them. Whereas any sort of complicated adult themes, like in The Rosa Cavalier, where she's the older woman, something like that, is they're, they're too complicated, too complex emotions to engage with. Whereas Hansel and Gretel and extreme violence, really. I mean, child neglect and extreme violence is basically the two main themes, aren't they? That the parents leave them in the, the woods to fend for themselves. Well, the mother does, doesn't she? She says mm. go off to the yeah, woods. Yeah, send them out. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and, yeah, captured by an evil stranger and then they get the better of her. So it's, um, it's amazing how those stories, that it seems completely appropriate for children, but if you take them apart, they seem, yeah, quite dark, really. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's the fairy tale. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, from way back when, you know, we... Yeah. <laughs> We can't blame opera for that. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) It's one I've seen, actually. I saw this in Wales, in Welsh National Opera, and it's gorgeous. Because there's so much visually. There's there's the gingerbread house and the forest. There's a a lot to to work with. And the children, yeah, the the gingerbread children. It's wonderful. They'll come back to life. Yeah, I've seen a number of different depictions of this. And and the the set designers and the producers and the directors can do a lot of different... Uh, interpretations with this and this is one that can be done uh, is often done in English again to invite yeah children to really enjoy it in their own in their own language I'm speaking of English speaking children of course <laughs> well so should we have a listen to some music from Hansel and Gretel yes I think we'll go out on our Hansel and Gretel music so I've queued up for his brother come and dance with me, which is the sweet song that they sing to dance around the kitchen so that they can distract themselves. And of course, then they knock over the milk, which gets them into all that trouble with their mother. And they are sent off into the forest where all kinds of terrible things happen. But Keely, we have to say special thanks to Rosie for spending this yes. time with us. Oh, no, thank you. It's been wonderful. 
I am so excited to see your work when you have this book of opera illustrations and an invitation to children to to have something that they can pour over and and you know how kids are with books they will just memorize these things and they'll become so precious mm-hmm. as they grow and oh I think what a treasure what a treasure well thank you very much for having me it's been brilliant it's been such fun Rosie it was so lovely to to meet you and to realize that we had a that we'd actually been on the same bus touring London. (laughs) So it was great to have you and we hope that you'll come back. Oh, definitely. Thank you. to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. And I'm Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. We know that opera can be challenging. But everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make Opera for Everyone. everyone.